Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Now, Drews, I've got some great news for those of our listeners out there who, like me, love a matte black finish on your clubs. As our great mates at Cobra have introduced a sleek all-black colorway of its popular LTDX drivers. The LTDX black drivers possess the same performance and design features as the standard LTDX models, but with the addition of a striking matte black finish on the crown and sole, and grey stripe details. And in more good news for those black finish lovers, Cobra has introduced a second colorway with the King Cobra Black Wedge. The wedge features a satin black QPQ finish, which is highly durable and helps reduce glare in the sunlight. The LTDX black drivers and wedges are available now. So for more information, visit cobragolf.com. G'day, welcome back to the 19th Tee Podcast. Drew's with you over here in Perth on the other side of the country, not Kieran Marsh, but our very good friend. I think it's three or four times, Garby. I'm not entirely sure, but you're, <laughs> you're making yourself very well at home here. Daniel Garb, welcome again to the 19th Tee, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. Always fun to uh, to talk a bit of golf. It is a big passion of mine and I follow it very closely. So yeah, when you asked me to come on, I thought, why not? That sounds like a very good way to spend uh, some time after a long day at work. So happy <laughs> to be here. Absolutely. Uh, we are very happy to have you uh, on the show once again. We are going to do a bit of a, a recap on the four majors um, that, that happened across the last handful of months, obviously kicking off with the Masters back in April and and concluding uh, last week with uh, with the Open Championship, didn't catch much of the three M Open. I must admit this this week. <laughs> I don't know if you did, mate, but uh, no, Tony no. Tony Finau won, which is nice. Yeah. The perennial perennial bridesmaid, so nice to see him getting a win anyway, which is um, which is which is good. But uh, how's things, mate? How are you tracking? I mean, obviously, you know, we we know that you are one of the the brainiest people in the country when it comes to football the round ball and we've got a world cup coming up your yeah. your hands are very busy with uh, footy and everything how's how's uh, how's it all going over your side yeah all good i um you know busy with work and busy with those sports i've actually been out of action golf wise i've had a pinched nerve in my neck which has caused a lot of pain down my arm it is actually a, a common golf injury apparently so i'm not sure if other people have experienced it before but um Maybe it's something to be aware of, but uh, it caught me by surprise. Woke up one morning after a round and my arm was in pain and get an MRI. They tell you you got this and I haven't played in three months. So maybe it's something for people to be aware of if they ever feel mm. something like that. But um, yeah, that's sidelined me and knocked me about a bit over the last few months. But I'm out to play nine holes tomorrow. Been to the range a couple of times, building back slowly and no flare up since. So that's encouraging. Hopefully it's just a little hiccup on the road to uh, being a long-term hacker um, on single <laughs> figures. That would suit me. That'll, that'll do. So we'll see. Hopefully I'm back to it tomorrow. Oh, trust me, single figures is, is my dream at the moment. I am I am so far away from that right now. Just to, I said to you before I played yesterday morning and it was so shit it was so bad i just could not make a part so i need to get out of there but we are here to talk majors anyway i mean i don't even really know where to start i was going to do this maybe in chronological order or but mate, what's your takeaway from major season it felt like it was just a never-ending circus obviously we had live golf kind yeah. of happening at the same time and and the 
golfing world was trying to get on with things. What's your what's your sort of summation of the major season? Obviously, the live stuff's dominated the the narrative throughout the, the year. I'll tell you what my takeaway is because when you told me to come on today and I had to think it through the majors, this stands out to me more than anything, and that is. I'm not sure if you put Scotty Scheffler in this bracket or not. Mm-hmm. We'll put him in for now because I don't think Scotty is a big bloke. He's more of a finesse guy. But you look at the, the major winners, and even if you remove Scotty, Justin Thomas, Matt Fitzpatrick, Cameron Smith. I reckon I'd be able to go okay in an arm wrestle against all three of them. <laughs> and it was only two years ago that we were saying you have to be a six foot four steak eating linebacker to win yeah. a major. Like, if yeah. you're not Bryson DeChambeau in the gym or Brooks Kepka, you're not winning a major. The game mm. has changed. Bryson's changed it. You have to hit it 350 yards now. I think so. And we've had three of, you know, the most light-framed guys who, and they've all, you know, of course, put work in to make sure they're up to a certain distance, of course. Yeah. But they're, not, they're not big guys at all. Mm. Justin Thomas has still got skinny arms. Matt Fitzpatrick's a little... Five foot three bloke from Sheffield. <laughs> He's worked his game out to get some length there. That's important. Cam Smith wins an open based on putting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've loved about it. That whole narrative has been dispensed with within a couple of years. And Bryson and Brooks have got their injury problems now. Bryson bounced back nicely at the open, but they're off playing the live tour. And it feels like they're not a, a real threat in the majors anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's flipped on its head. And once again, the game of golf is triumph. You think you can out-muscle it and all that? Well, you're going to get injuries trying to do it that way, like Bryson and Brooks have. Yeah, You just cannot beat it. Um, and I reckon that's out of these majors, three of them, three of the smallest guys on tour, and they've uh, they've come away with the big prizes. Do you think there's still still a space in the game for the rollback that they're talking about? Because, I mean, we were, we were talking about it last week, and we're probably – I think when you look at – Obviously, the Open Championship last two weeks ago, whenever it was now, like it's disheartening to see the old course, you know, get picked apart in ways. It still showed its teeth at times. There's no doubt about that, but it didn't hold up to modern technology and it didn't. So I'm still keen for a rollback of the ball. I think just in general, the ball goes too far. But to your point, I completely agree with you. It's refreshing to see guys who aren't your Bryson's and your, I mean, even Cam Young hits the ball a bloody long way, but it's yeah. refreshing to see those guys not win. Of course, you've got to still hit the ball far, but yeah. you don't have to be an absolute monster off the tee. I mean, for one stage there, we thought, you know, blokes who win the long driving comp is going to come out and compete on tour because that's where it's going. And it's just mm. not true. Um, the reason why the old course um, was scored upon very easily is there just wasn't any wind. I mean, the mm. wind was low. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't any rain. That final round, it was just so mild. So that's why the scores were low. I mean, you look through the Open Championships over the years, you'll see at least one session of the day that's where the rain's pounding down. Hmm. Usually two days at least where the wind's coming in at 35 k's an hour, you know, across you, which affects the scores dramatically. So, yeah, I, I don't... I think that was a big part of the reason why. And... Yeah, I mean, golf's a game of resilience. Whether it's over four rounds, whether it's over a year, whether it's over a few years, it is a game of resilience. And if you want to go out there and and beef yourself up and monster it like Bryson, well, great. You might have a good couple of years. It's very hard for your body to not catch up with you at some stage. Mm, yeah, like yeah. it's 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 too grueling of a sport mentally and physically for it not to get to you at some stage. So, 
the guys who have just done it gradually, like Fitzpatrick and Smith and Thomas and worked on their distance, but still maintained their class in other areas and haven't let their bodies grow to a point that it can't keep up with it all. You know, they're the ones who are doing well at the moment. So no, I think the game of golf's in, in good shape. There's no need for any changes, to be honest. I don't think. I think you're right. It's in great shape. I mean, you look at those four winners and we mentioned this last week, Smith, Scheffler, Fitzpatrick and Thomas. I mean, that's that's outstanding to have four guys who are really the future of the game. I mean, none of them are on the live tour yet. We're, we're not sure about where, where Cam Smith's going to be in uh, a couple of months' time. But it, the game's in a, a really healthy place, I think, from the guys that are competing in majors. Um, to have guys under the age of 30, you know, you haven't got some perennial old dude like Phil winning last year, albeit that was fantastic to see, but it was kind of like at least now we've got this core group of competition that seems like it's going to happen for a little while. And then you've got guys I've got written down here like Zalatoris and Young and even Tommy Fleetwood had a good good major season. So there's a, a really good competitive landscape around at the moment. Oh, yeah. I mean the game is just growing all the time all over the world and you're getting, you know, players from different countries who are emerging all the time. I mean, look mm. at the Korean Siwoo Kim who's come through now. I mean, you, you think if someone had told you two years ago that Sung Jae Im wasn't the number one Korean on tour, you'd have gone, hang on, hello. Yeah. And he still yeah. probably is, but there's guys who are just, you know, mm. grinding away at him from his own country, never mind around the world. So yeah, it's 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 growing all the time, and then you got blokes like you know Rory and Shane Lowry who are rediscovering their best. Um, you know, a guy like Colin Morikawa didn't have a you know solid major season, and his game seems impenetrable at times. So, yeah, it's it's Victor Hovland, you know, bounces yep. back and has a really good Open Championship, which was fantastic to see. Cantlay and 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 Xander still haven't won a major. Yeah, you know, I'm off Cantlay. <laughs> I'm a Cantlay fan. He finished top 10. He's done well. Xander's done well. But, you know, they're hard to win at the moment. Yeah. It's, you know, 2019 President's Cup, we we watched those two blokes come to Australia. If you had said then that none, neither of them would win a major between now and the end of 2022, you'd have gone, nah, I'll yeah. take that bet any day of the week. They'll win one in the next three years. I completely agree. Neither of them have. So it's just <laughs> damn hard. But they're still there, still playing well, and they can't get over the line. It's... Fiercely competitive, and it makes every single major so exciting. I like Cantlay. I just don't think he's got the resilience to win. That's his first top 10 in a major that he's played in. I mean, he's played in like 16 majors or something, which is absurd yeah. to think about. So, but the one to your point before, it got me thinking. I think the golf gods have really got things right in the last couple of years since Bryson beefed up and came out and called Augusta National a par 68 or whatever he said, his game has just gone completely backwards. And I just love that that's just like a massive middle finger from the golf gods. <laughs> exactly right. And then, yeah, you look at a guy like Fitzpatrick who goes and wins the US Open, which, you know, they said, good luck winning the US Open unless you smash it 350 because mm -hmm. people are just going to do what Bryson does, hit it over the trees, hit it down the wrong hole, wedge it from the, the rough and be around the green and, you know, They'll finish five under and win every US Open from now on. Good luck. And it just hasn't worked out that way. And yeah, Matty Fitzpatrick's worked in his distance. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, you've still got to hit ridiculous iron shots like he hit from that fairway bunker on 18. Mm. Um, you still got to have that class about you. You still got to get up and down like Cam Smith did on 17 at St Andrews. That element of the game hasn't changed one bit. You know, those shots are they're straight out of the Seve Ballesteros playbook, aren't they? Mm, like yeah. artistry under pressure. So everyone thought that element of the game was going to be lost by the big hitters, and it's just not true. No, and, and I think you're bang on. I mean, going back through 
the majors today and jogging my memory, I think there, there was really clutch moments in each major, maybe apart from the Masters because Scotty was kind of so far ahead in that. But Cam Smith, obviously, 17 on the road hold, two yeah. incredible putts. Uh, you mentioned uh, Matty Fitz's uh, shot out of the bunker, which was uh, arguably the shot of all the majors this year. And then even yeah. in the PGA Championship in that, um, in the playoff, JT, you know, nailing some clutch shots to, to so it kind of separates, you know, the men from the boys in a lot of way. There, there's these real defining moments. And and someone like a Will Zalatoris who got close on so many occasions, it just just wasn't enough for him. And I think that that time will come for him. But it kind of feels like there's these seminal moments in each in each event. Yeah, and from an Aussie point of view, you, you could look at that purely through the prism of Cam Smith. I mean, yeah. He has the chance to win the Masters in a great position. He's done so well there before. Shoots a 68 in the third round. You think this is Cam's time. Mm-hmm. And then he shoots a 73 in the last round. Finishes, you know, Scotty was fantastic, of course. And his score gets blown out by that four putt on the last, which, mm-hmm. you know, didn't really matter in the end. He was in full control. But, you know, Cam puts it in the water on 12 and he gets angry seemingly for the first time in his career. We just don't yeah. see Cam Smith lose his cool when he does. And then he comes back three majors later and holds it all together in the final round of the Open and wins. Um, when everyone had written him off and thinks you know, Cam's blown another one with his you know, poor third round. And then he just tears Rory down in the last. And I think that Masters had a huge say in Cam winning the Open. <laughs> yeah, I think he yeah. learned so much from that third uh, final round at, at Augusta where he let his temperament get the better of him, which he very rarely does. Um, and in the third round, he just kept it all together, didn't panic, still thought, I can win this thing. Um, other guys will make mistakes like oh, I did at Augusta, and I'll come at them hard from behind, which is probably, it probably suits him best to play in that situation rather yeah. than to be the front runner because he's just such a, he loves going for his shots. And he's such a brilliant putter um, that he can just, he can be aggressive. Um, I think it, it, it set him up beautifully what happened at Augusta to, to win the Open. And he learned so much in the space of, of three big tournaments. Is there a, have you got a player of the majors um, for this, for the year? I mean, I've jotted, jotted down seven names here and just kind of had a look at, at some of them, but is there a player that kind of sticks out for you at all that you go, gee, they had a really, really good major season. There's some, of course, there's some obvious ones here, but is there anyone in your mind that sticks out? Oh, I mean, yeah, Zalatoris, you've mentioned, obviously. I mean, Fitzpatrick had a ridiculous year. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic. I mean, Rory. Yeah. McElroy's had a great year in, in the majors, and, and we probably shouldn't forget that. He's finished – where did he finish in the PGA? He's finished on the Eighth. top of the leaderboard. He's finished top 10, I think, in all four majors. Maybe not yeah, the Masters. No, he did finish second. Oh, finished second. Well, there you go. Yeah. Second in the Masters. He's finished top five at the US Open. He's finished third at the Open Championship. And then the PGA, he's finished tied eight. That was his worst finish in a major. Yeah. He's so, 20, 29 under par for the majors. And the next best is 21 yeah. under, which was Will's Alatoris. Yeah. I mean, fair play. I mean, that, you know, I know he hasn't won one, but that is a ridiculous year. And there's Alatoris and Smith and Fitzpatrick and Scheffler weren't far behind. It's it's a very it's a really hard one. Do you do you put someone ahead? Uh, do you put someone who hasn't won a major ahead of someone who has for the best player of the matches? It's it's arguable that you could make a really good case for Rory. I mean, Scotty Scheffler missed a cut at the PGA. Cam Smith missed a cut at the U.S. Open. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's a challenging one, but um, I thought maybe we might might start back at the Masters and we can kind of work our way through. I mean, mm. it was really Scotty Scheffler's. Uh, it was it was bizarre because Scotty Scheffler had gone on this run leading into it. He'd won uh, three tournaments, I think, leading into the into the Masters, and everyone was still kind of overlooking Scotty Scheffler to win win the Masters. He was. I think he might have been on the verge of number one, or he was definitely the favourite, and everyone sort of thought, "No, nah, the, the Masters will will find him out." And and lo and behold, he goes and shoots ten under with a a four putt on the last hole to uh, to beat Rory by three uh, three shots. Really, it was five five shots, at, um, and it was a, a pretty incredible final round from Rory. But it was really Scotty Scheffler's coming of age moment. I know he hasn't gone on to you know. It really hold that form in in a way of things. He's had some other really good finishes, but mm. it felt like this was Scotty Scheffler's big coming out moment to say, like, I'm here. I'm one of the best players in the world, if not the best. Yeah, well, he was in his purple patch, and he he managed to strike while the iron was hot, mm-hmm. um, and claimed a major as a result. And yeah, it was he was just unbeatable at times, and his short game was fantastic, and his artistry around that course, turning it around the dog legs like you have to. He was in full control and, and, and great to watch. I mean, obviously from our point of view, it's disappointing that Cam dropped off there, but, you know, you don't worry about it now because he's claimed the Open. Another thing that stuck out about Augusta this year is that the guys who play the course well just seem to always do well there. Like mm. it just holds up. Charles Schwartzel finished <laughs> top 10. I think he missed 11 cuts coming into Augusta. <laughs> But he's a former winner yeah. who finishes top 10. Corey, yeah. Go look at Corey Connor's Masters record. Outstanding. It's, like, it's similar to Cam Smith's. He's always top 10. He, he had an ace there last year. Yeah. So well because yeah. he's a really good iron player and you have to be in the right spot on the greens. And Corey Connors always puts it there. Sung Jm is starting to rack up really good Masters performances over Danny, and over. Danny Willett? <laughs> T12. Danny Willett was in the – yeah, exactly. He doesn't do a thing ever. And then he's always like top 10 of the Masters. Yeah. So that's something that just stands out every time. The guys who play that course well have a big advantage when it comes to uh, that major. And I think, you know, talking about moments that kind of define major seasons is for Rory, that final round 64. And uh, I don't know, it kind of, it feels like it flicked a switch for him. I know there were signs sort of that he was starting to come back, but that, to me sort of was like, right. Yeah. I, maybe we do need to consider Rory for some of these. And I don't know. It was again, too little, too late. And he, I think he'd put himself out of contention. He had yeah, two seventy threes to, to open, but it, it was the signs of life, right. That the CPR had, had worked and he was, he was back alive. He holed out on 18, which uh, from the bunker, which I think he said afterwards was one of his happiest moments on a golf course. And, and it genuinely looked like it. So I think for Rory, in terms of those seminal moments I was talking about, was 18 at Augusta when he walked off and was like, yeah, I'm here, top five. This is the year. Yeah, and he just couldn't quite clinch it um, throughout the year. But he, again, he showed that he's got a lot more to offer and that, you know, any talk that his best days were behind him was certainly premature. Let's not forget Tiger. That was Tiger's best performance of of the year. Didn't play the PGA, um, 
struggled to get through the Open, or did he struggle to get through the PGA? Did he? Pay, which one did he miss? The U.S. Open. He missed or PGA? the U.S. He missed yeah. the U.S. Open and, and yeah. withdrew from the PGA. PGA struggled to get through, and then you know bombed out at the Open. But he made the cut at the Masters, which was an incredible story. That was his first <laughs> tournament, and I can't remember how long. Um, and and manages to make the cut. He had four three putts and a four putt um, in the third round for a six over round of 78. So it fell apart. And clearly, you know, speak about resilience, that's where he's struggling at the moment, Tiger. Mm. He just to get through four rounds at that, st- that level is just not happening for him. And I was one of the people who said he'll come back and play, but he's not going to challenge for a big tournament no. ever again. I just can't see it. Maybe next year he goes and finishes top 10. But even then, that's not necessarily challenging. I can't see him being in the final two groups of a major. It just seems too hard for him. And he's 47 next year. But he made the the cut there. And that was something we celebrated. And it was great to see him back. And, yeah, he struggled through the rest of the year. And maybe he will play more tournaments next year to try and get his body right. Or maybe his body's just not up to it. And he'll just play the odd tournament and try and set himself that way and that's all he can do we'll find out but it's just it's great having him back competing with that glint in the eye again yeah and and like we said plenty it's i don't think he owes us anything like he doesn't have to come back and play right like so we always say whenever he's out in the course just enjoy it because it might be the last time and and that moment walking down 18 on friday at the open championship was you know a really special moment so you know i completely Completely agree with you. One I did want to raise from the Masters, um, it kick-started a good little run of form for an Aussie who I think is probably the second best performing Aussie in majors behind Cam Smith, and that's Minwoo Lee. Um, had a T14 at the Masters, did miss the cut at the PGA, but then finished uh, T27 and T21 mm. at the US Open and the Open Championship, respectively, for his first full season of major golf. Like, that's, you know, that's pretty impressive for a guy who we know is incredibly talented. Uh, but that's a that's a good little debut season for Minwee Lee. If you can ride one bloke from an Aussie point of view for the, re- for the next 10 years, Herbert or Minwoo Lee, who are you taking? I think Minwoo. Okay. What do you reckon? Yeah. Probably, I think Herbert is a. It's got a bit more dog fighting about him. Yeah, that's I fair. think he's got a bit more competitive mongrel about him. I think You're he's more root. consistent. As yeah, well. but I think he just loves a battle. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I think Minwoo loves a game, and he's got a little bit more of a rounded game, and it's yeah. maybe more suited to certain courses and conditions. But has he got that real dog fight that you need that Herbert has? That's that that's the interesting part. I think minwoo has yeah. got, yeah, a slightly better player, but not by much. But um, geez, I think Herbert's gonna put in some big performances as well over the years. I think it's a pretty even call overall. I agree. I think I liken it to Minwoo if Minwoo is a roller coaster, right? Like you're gonna have some really good highs, but then you're gonna have some really crappy yeah. lows as well. But just down Sideshow Alley, you can go ride, you know, like the teacups, and that's yeah. Lucas Herbert. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be consistent, and you know what it's going to be like. Like, for example, if you're Trevor Immelman now and you're picking one of them for the President's Cup this year, you might say Minwoolee's got a slightly better game, but I think when it comes to a match play fight, I think Herbert is the one that gives you a bit more confidence. So I would agree. I think Immelman's picking Herbert right now over Minwoolee. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree in the match play situation. I'd probably yeah. take Minwoo. Uh, sorry, I'd take Lucas Herbert. That's a that's a very good point. If that 
And how exciting is that for Aussie golf for the next handful of years to have, obviously, Cam Smith leading the charge, a bit of a, a changing of the guard in, in terms of, you know, Leishman Day, et cetera, and, and even Scotty to an extent, to now have Smithy and Lucas Herbert and Min Wu and these guys coming behind. Um, it's, it's really exciting for Aussie golf. And we're lucky because there's no guarantee that you'll have it. You know, it's very tough to get guys into the top 50 in the world. Mm-hmm. It's such a ridiculously high standard. And so, you know, who's to say in 10, 15 years, we won't have anyone at all. Um, and when, you know, Scotty and Leishman, are, their days of challenging in majors seem behind them now, unfortunately, doesn't mean they won't in the odd big tournament, but consistently, like they were sort of five, 10 years ago, doesn't seem like that's going to happen again. Jason Day, who knows where he's at, and seemed in all sorts at the 3M Open on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're lucky we've got these two. We really are because there's no guarantees in this game that you'll have them coming through. And, yeah, for the President's Cup, they'll be there for years to come, I think. I mean, the Abram answer seemingly uh, departure from the tournament because of his live golf defection is going to open up a door for someone. Uh, maybe it's it's for Lucas Herbert to step in and be on that international team. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and and I think that's the the silver lining for some of these <laughs> for some of these people defecting to live golf is that we might get to see some more Aussies in the field. I mean, currently, if we, we'll just diverge uh, to the Presidents Cup briefly. So the current rankings on the the top eight who will qualify mm. currently automatically: Cameron Smith, Hideki, Sung J M, Wakan Neiman, Abraham Answer, but. That's obviously out by, by all sounds. Uh, Corey Connors, Adam Scott, and Mito Pereira are the top eight. So you would suspect that uh, there's going to be some some Aussie further uh, some further Aussie flavour in there. It's interesting. I didn't think Scotty would be as high as he was. I didn't think he would be inside the top eight. Yeah, he's had a pretty solid year. Mm. He's been consistent. He just hasn't been challenging enough. Yeah, but he's he's made a lot of cuts. He's um, been in some solid groups. Did well at the Open. Overall, um, yeah, I think he'll. I think he's likely to be a, even if he's not automatic, be a captain's pick for his experience, especially considering how many young guys are in. I mean, Louis Ostaisen is probably going to be out as well, um, yep. of course, because of his choice to go to live. So there's, you know, KH Lee's come up. You know, maybe he's someone that forces his way in now. Um, you know, Anuban Lahiri had a good run, but now is faded. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of guys who are who are options, but no guarantees. I mean, Gary Higo stormed back and had a good open championship. Does he get in now? Mito Pereira, I think someone who who will make it. I think his his form's been good enough. So the top echelon of good players: Smith, Matsuyama, Sungjae, Neiman, uh, Connors. You've got a, an excellent base there, and then mm. you add a Scott for experience, and and then you've got a good ten blokes that you could. You know, juggle around really. I made you go with Leishman again because he he's so reliable and he's he gets on so well with everyone. Maybe, but geez, his form hasn't held up, so that's a tricky one for uh, for Immelman. But the loss of answers is a massive one. That's a yeah. huge one. I think bigger than Louis in a way because he's young and he's the future. And it may be it, it may be cleared up in time. There's a good chance it will. And the next Presidents Cup, they've come to some sort of agreement and the guys can play it moving forward. But for this one, yeah, I can't see how he's allowed to. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's a bigger blow than Ostaisen because he is young and because he's a fighter. Louis, mm. let's be honest, gets a bit soft down the stretch. We've seen that in majors and maybe in some President's Cup games as well. Answer in, in Royal Melbourne, man, 
he's a junkyard dog. Yeah. So that's a monumental blow because we just don't have the depth that the Americans do to to replace you know, the guys who have defected from them. They can call on another 15 blokes who are like sitting in the top 40 to go and, <laughs> and, and replace them happily. Yeah, and that's and look, you know, to be honest, we're off to Quail Hollow this year. I think we're, we're pushing shit uphill regardless, yeah. right? So I'm totally okay if we blood some talent here and 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 even I think where's the next one? Is I think it's Montreal or it's, it's in Canada. Canada. So it's basically yeah. a home game for the Yanks again. So over yeah. the next couple of years, let's let's blood some talent. Is the point that I'm trying to say? Like, let's not yeah. get so beat up on the result. Because we don't have anything to lose anyway, so let's let's throw some some young guys in there and, and have a dip anyway. Yeah, well, maybe they put a, an extra Canadian in to get them ready for two years' time. Because yes, <laughs> the course conditions are quite, in Canada, Montreal will will suit the Americans, but the crowd will be anti-Americans, like the Canadians. You'd hope so. <laughs> oh, but I mean, the, the Canadians hate them. I mean, they, you know, I know Canadians are nice and all that, but you know, they're, they're sick of being talked down to by the Americans. So, yeah. you know, you chuck a Hadwin or a Mackenzie Hughes in perhaps and you say, look, two years time, Hadwin played in 2019, yeah. maybe a Mackenzie Hughes gets in. Like, you know, I want you to experience this so you can crave it for your, yeah. for your President's Cup in Canada in two years time because we'll need you there. We're going to need a, we're going to need at least two Canadians on the team to get the crowd revved up. That's going to make a big difference. So maybe he goes that way because of that. Uh, changing tact entirely, what did you make of John Rahm? This year, I'll give you his results if you don't have him in front of you there. Uh, T27 at the Masters, T48 at the PGA Championship, T12 at the US Open and T34 at the Open. Seemingly a pretty steep drop-off yeah. for, for John. Um, obviously has won this year out of the Mexico Open, but, you know, a relatively uh, weak field. But, yeah, it just seems like... Forms dropped off. Well, it doesn't seem like it. It has dropped off oh, very yeah, quickly yeah. for John. Just seems like he wants it too much sometimes. You know, I've heard Justin Thomas speak about that. You know, he had a good major year and he won one this year, Justin Thomas. And he said he just he stopped putting so much pressure on himself. It feels like Ram, even though he's won. I mean, Thomas had won one as well, the PGA. Um, he's just he's so desperate to get a string of majors together. You know, he's at the stage where he's over winning normal tournaments. It doesn't mean that he doesn't crave, you know, try to win them all. Of course he does. He's such a fierce competitor. But it becomes all about the majors eventually for these guys once they hit a certain level. And Ram seems like he's at the level now. And then you go through a period maybe where you want it so badly, you almost try too hard mm -hmm. and you make a little mistake and you get down in yourself too much and he battles with, you know, temperament issues anyway. So, yeah, watching him, I, I kind of got that feeling this year. And, He's also pretty big. I mean, I don't. You know, it's that's his swing. So, you know, sometimes you can lose weight and it messes up your swing. We've seen guys do that, but sometimes you do wonder: is he does he need to condition up a little bit more? Is that mm. an issue? I don't know. Maybe not. I could be completely <laughs> wrong. But you know, he, he is one of the bigger guys on tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got the dad bod now. He's yeah, a father. I just so, think he wants it. I just think he wants it too much. I think no, he's I too much pressure on himself. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think. Um, and it's funny you look at the again going back to that roller coaster analogy. It's it's up and down. I mean, 2020 we were talking about DJ having one of the the all time great seasons. We said the same thing about Scotty this year, and and he's kind of taken a little bit of a, a dive off in in the last couple of months. So it's uh, it's certainly a roller coaster. Uh, shall we have a look at the PGA sure. Championship? Uh, won by Justin Thomas at, at five under. 
with uh, a playoff against Will Zalatoris, a three-hole playoff, which I must admit, mate, I'm a fan of the three-hole playoff instead of just going up and down 18 over and over until we get a winner. Uh, aggregate score of three holes, I'm I'm dead keen on that. So, yeah, obviously made two birdies to start and had a par on the third, and that was it. That was all she wrote. Yeah, I like the variety of it. Yeah, um, I don't have a preference either way, but I like the fact that it's just mixed up. Sometimes it's the one hole, sometimes it's three. Yeah, it gives you different ways of, of watching playoffs, and, and sometimes that's cool. The only problem is sometimes when it's a three-hole playoff and it's a Monday morning here in Australia, and you're like, I've <laughs> yeah. got to get to work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've put off this phone call three times. <laughs> no, I've, 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 there's three meetings I've still got to, <laughs> yeah, still got to yeah, have yeah. today. That's a problem for us, whereas the sudden death, you can, you know, it's over quicker and you can get on with your, your day. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's just the standout memory of that is Mito Pereira's, Stuff up really, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's always a hard one because the guy's playing so well, he's hitting drivers so well. You know, can you sit there and say, peel it back to three wood and put it in play? I mean, we've all been out there in the course, you're hitting driver well, you know, why change a club that you're hitting nicely? Mm. You just you just didn't execute under pressure. Um, and that happens to young players in majors when there's so much to gain, and he lost a bit of concentration at a crucial moment and put himself in trouble when he didn't need to. Um, so that stands out for me and you've really felt for him and he dealt with it brilliantly and I loved seeing all the Central American and South American guys getting around him that was fantastic he'll I'm sure learn from that and be contending again because he's a serious player but yeah. um, Justin Thomas fair play he he said if I can just post a score the guys are going to make mistake on, mistakes on this course and I'm a chance to win it and he did yeah and and look you know not to not to draw parallel to to what Cam Smith did at the Open Championship, but you know a three under, three under thirty two on the back nine uh, on a on a very tough course. Um, I mean, you know that's that's seriously impressive. When when you've got to come from behind, you've got to score, you've got to make shots, and and as you said, hopefully someone stuffs up, and if they don't, then you know you got beaten by a better player. But he he hit the shots when it was genuinely required. And I think it was uh, number 17, if I'm recalling correctly, where he drove the green and, and just put himself in such a wonderful spot. And um, it's it's an interesting one with JT. And I remember talking to Marshy about this at the time. I said, like, is this is this JT's major, right? Like, are we, are we just going to expect him to maybe win another couple of these? And, you know, the Open Championship never really seems like it's, it's a course for JT. We say Augusta every year, and yet when we haven't got it, is it just the PGA Championship, the setup that's going to suit him? Maybe I don't. Know. I don't know. Yeah, oh, I think he's got the game to, to challenge in other ones um, for sure. He's won two now. That's not easy to do. <laughs> no, he'll figure prominently for the next two three years. I think in a, in a few more majors. What about Cam Young finishing tied third and then finishing <laughs> second at the at the Open? I mean, yeah. you know, the, to go back to your earlier question, who stands out for you in the majors? I mean, he's a guy who's emerged. I know Zalatoris had a great year, but he had emerged earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, to have two top threes this year, I mean, we didn't really know much about him before this year, did we? No. We barely heard of him. Yeah. Um, and he stands up there and he looks like a baseball player, really. He does, yes. Max it down the, the fairway and he's he's also a fierce competitor. You know, he's got, he loves the the battle down the stretch. Really enjoyed watching him at the Open. Um, you know, he, he, he didn't care about, all the applause for Rory. He didn't care about what Cam Smith was doing. He thought, I belong here and I can win this thing. And he went damn close to doing it. So, yeah, he's been a fantastic story out of uh, 2022. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And and he is my sort of one to watch, essentially. Yeah. You know, he's he's going to be a force, to to your point at the top of the show, you know, we're talking about length. He's got that in spades. He hits the ball an absolute mile. He's got a beautiful swing, that little sort of pause at the top like yeah. a neck he's got, and then just yeah. the power comes through. And, yeah, he's he's going to be a very, very good player and, and will win multiple times on tour there is. There is no doubt about that. So, what did you, did you have anything else from the PGA? I mean, it was probably the one that we, I don't know. It, again, live was going on. There were so many other things pulling away from it. I mean, was there anything else that you wanted to highlight from the PGA? Not really. Just really liked the um, really liked the course. Enjoyed enjoyed watching um, go out at Southern Southern Hills, and you know, it was tough. I mean, the final <laughs> the final scores were minus five. Yeah, I just enjoyed watching them grind it out and battle. That was fantastic. So yeah, it was one to uh, one to remember in in that sense. And it, you know, you look at Matty Fitzpatrick tied fifth, and then he goes to win the Open. It probably it set things up for him as we move on to the uh, the next major of the year. Yeah, absolutely. The US Open Country Club uh, at Brookline. I mean, this was one that I think. Um, I mean, personally, you know, I'd sort of read about Southern Hills, and I kind of knew it, but. The country club, I I didn't really know much about going into it, and I was kind of enjoying not knowing. So viewing it on the TV and kind of seeing it for the first time, it was really interesting. Just the way that the course was laid out and the fact that it didn't necessarily reward that bomb and gouge style, to your point again, it rewarded the guys. You have a look in, in here, the US Open results. Fitz wins at six under, Scheffler at T2 at five under, uh, T5 for Rory at two under, Zalatoris at T2. Like the guys who shape the ball and work the ball seem to rise to the top. And uh, again, really refreshing to really refreshing to see it. For sure. And as, yeah, it's a course with a lot of um, history and Francis Wimette and his story yeah, of yeah. You know, winning the US Open as an amateur. And if you haven't seen that movie, The Greatest Game Ever Played, go do so. With Sheila Booth, it's a great golf movie, great sports movie. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed the reliving of that throughout this tournament. And and Matt Fitzpatrick, who won a US amateur at that course, goes on and wins the US Open there. And, and that bunker shot on on 18 was just extraordinary. It was just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, you just when you heard that sound, you knew it was a beauty. It was just hit so cleanly and... He was under pressure. And let's not forget, John Rahm was in that bunker the day before and ended mm. up double bogeying the hole and it dented his hopes massively. And then Matt Fitzpatrick's in there the next day um, with the chance to win the tournament, arguably a slightly tougher position in that bunker. And he hits a nine iron straight up and out and you know, three meters away from the pin. Just ridiculous. You, you, you could make a case, and I wouldn't tell you you were wrong, that that was the shot of the major majors this year. I, yeah. I'd happily let you have it if, the, if someone wanted to believe that because it was truly incredible. And I remember sitting there watching watching them come down 18 and, and I was very much rooting for Matty Fitz because it's the first time that me and Marshy actually both picked him and, it, and it's our first tip that we've ever got right in about three three years of doing this show. So yeah. we were very oh. much on him and we were like, just don't hit it in that fucking bunker on the left. And <laughs> what did he do? Hit it in the yeah. bunker. He was one of my picks to win it because he'd won the US Amateur there. Uh, that was the main reason. So I was on him as well. But, you know, I'll be honest, I put my hand up. I thought Fitzpatrick was the kind of guy who had a ceiling on his talent. Mm -hmm. um, I thought he'd be a good player, but he just, you know, yeah, didn't seem to have enough tricks in his game. But, you know, credit to him for 
making sure he got his length out there and putting another 15, 20 yards on his drives, but then still working on the other aspects of his game. And yeah, go back to the, the point earlier about, you know, the little guys managing to triumph against that storyline of, of the smashes taking over the game. He is a guy who writes down every single shot mm. in his little book. He, doesn't go to mates bucks parties he doesn't drink he doesn't do this because he's just he knows that he's not given the same god-given gifts as as other guys and if he's going to win majors he has to extrapolate every single little bit of ability out of his body and he went and he did it uh that's just a fantastic story for for work ethic really i mean he's obviously he's a hugely talented guy but yeah, if he doesn't do that, he doesn't win majors. If he doesn't put every single little thing into it, unlike, say, a Brooks, for example, hmm. um, who just switches on for the four tournaments a year, but uh, or used to, you know, he, he did that and, and he, he managed to win out on you know, quite often a layout that's the most difficult to win out on because it's just so punishing. So that was great to watch. I really enjoyed that story to emerge. Yeah, and, and look, I think it probably just sets him up really nicely i mean we've been talking for the best part of three years about how talented he is and you know i I think i marked him down about 18 months ago as a guy that i really thought would be something and up until that point he probably really didn't show us a great deal right like he'd he'd finished i think in the top 10 a handful of times but uh, at majors but hadn't won on the PGA tour and then comes out and delivers a really really impressive performance and i hope that it just springboards him through to you know winning another one at some stage but he's um he's an incredibly talented guy and and to hold off someone like scotty scheffler who was having a really good day until that back nine a couple of couple of bogeys there and and a guy like will zalatoris who hangs around and and even hideki flew home with five under so he was kind of you know he he had to score he couldn't just go out and, and make par he still had to go out and find those birdies and i think that that's a sign of a really good player is just not sort of resting on your laurels. He's still head down, ass up and and trying to find those birdies out on course. Yeah, most certainly. Um, and he, yeah, he's going to be a threat in all different courses now for sure. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a little gem, Matty Fitzpatrick and very important for the European Ryder Cup team, which is fading away a lot, but um, they've needed someone to jump up because it looked, you know, recently like, Okay, Ram's going to be there for a little while. Hovland's a young gun. Rory's going to be there. They needed someone else to jump up, and he's done that now. So now half their team is strong. They've got a big issue because you know, guys like Poulter and Westwood, and they're all fading away, and there aren't enough coming through. But him jumping up, they just breathe a huge sigh of relief. They've got at least you know four or five top-level players. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, we've the, the, the European team, as you mentioned, is – it's not not hanging in the balance. I don't think it's the right term, but you're right. The depth absolutely isn't there, and and even a guy like Rory, you know, he's not getting any younger. So he's no. not. He's he's probably got maybe a couple left in him by the time another what another four years roll around. He's you know, I think he, how old will he be then? I don't even know how old he is right now. But he's not going to be. He's probably closer to forty than he is to thirty. So yeah, it's he's not going to be around forever. Uh, Last one of the year was the Open a couple of weeks ago, mate. I mean, how do you sum it up? I mean, it's just – it's my favourite tournament of the year. It's, yeah. it's easily my favourite favorite major. It was just seemingly, uh, as we said last week, it was, it was almost a coronation for Rory. It was everyone wanted him to win and 
And when he was four shots ahead going into the final round, even though he was playing with Victor Hovland, it felt like, you know, Victor, poor Victor didn't even have a chance. It felt, it felt like everyone was back in Rory and, and along comes Cam Smith and spoils the party, which was lovely to see. Yeah, it was just brilliant. I mean, the, the display of putting that Cam put on in that final round was just mesmerising golf. And look, maybe we had the rose-tinted glasses on a bit because he's an Aussie, but I certainly thought he's a chance because of his putting game. Like he's the kind of guy who can go out there and land three putts in the first six holes and all of a sudden be one back or be level. And he did do that. You know, Rory missing his putts helps, but, you know, we had that feeling going into it and then to watch it come to fruition like it did was fantastic. And once he got in that position, you knew he wasn't going to stuff it up. It was just Mm. so clear that he wasn't going to make a mistake. Rory might catch him. Rory might start making a couple of putts on the back nine, but he wasn't going to mess mess up. He, he'd learned from that Masters that we spoke about earlier. He had so much drive in him. He's such a fighter, and he his game was just in such ridiculous shape. And then that that pass save on seventeen, I remember messaging in the middle of the night to mate saying, "Just get through seventeen unscathed," mm. because you knew 18's, you know a possible eagle hole, but very likely birdie. If you stuff it up, you're still making par. Um, just get through that tough 17th on Skye. Then he puts it where he does and you think, oh, no. <laughs> How's he going to, you know, this has got bogey written all over it. And that up and down is just insane. And, like, it's one of those situations that you you look at it from, if you're an amateur golfer, social golfer, sorry, point of view, what would you have done in that situation? Like, yeah, we probably would have thought about putting, but we would have been so scared of putting in the bunker. Mm-hmm. And most pros would have been. And he yeah. gets so close to it but still rides it up perfectly. Mm-hmm. So we probably would have wedged it, but good luck stopping it on the green. Like we would have all, even if we clipped it perfectly, you know, we're not going to spin it. So it runs all the way over. Yeah. He might have done that even or duffed it into the bunker because it was such tight lies. To just nail the two putt from there was out of this world. And I don't think maybe Speed at his absolute best is the only other guy that could do that from that situation, putt, putt. So that was brilliant. And then you knew that it was it was pretty much his. So fantastic day for Australian golf. Only our 12th ever major winner and first Open winner since 93. And, uh, yeah, we all knew that he had the short game to do it and the mentality to do it. It was just a matter of when it would be. And he, and he did it. He put it together now and he got the one under the belt. And we'll wait and see what happens in his career with the whole live golf journey and how that affects things. But uh, he's exempt for five years and he can play the Open forever. So that helps. Yeah, it does. And, and you know, I think it's really important that, that we reinforce it again is that Rory didn't lose that tournament. Like, Cam no. just went out and, and took it from him. Um, exactly. With one of the, the all-time great, not just Open Championships, but I think one of the all-time great major rounds. You know, the, you, you know, you could, you could stack that up against anything that Tiger did and it was equally as impressive. And, and to your point on 17, I think the his decision to putt, I and referring back to the 12th hole of the Masters, I, he's, I don't think he would have putted. I don't know. I've, I'm spitballing here, but I don't feel like he would have putted that same shot 12 months ago. He's matured so much. And 12 months ago, he might have tried some incredible shot to just get it over the bunker and try and get it close. And, and yeah. for him to go, look, I'm just going to take my medicine here and get it up there and have a putt and back my putting in, I think showed a real sign of maturity. So I completely agree with your point. And yeah, yeah incredible day, incredible oh. morning or night or whatever time it was. I can't, I think it was 
it was morning our time, wasn't it? By the time it all finished, oh, yeah, those, like, those four days were a blur. 4 a.m. I mean, I put 50 on him at 11 to 1 before the round because I knew yeah, I had to find a way to, to stay up. So I was pretty, very happy with that. Thank you, Cameron. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, the whole, some of the Rory talk afterwards, like Alan Shipnick's comments, I don't know if you saw his tweets, yeah. like, what, I mean, what on earth is he going on about? Like, all about Rory and Rory hasn't taken the chance. What a bummer. Like, yeah. What a load of absolute nonsense. I don't understand. Rory's great. He's a lovely guy, speaks well about the game. He's never done anything wrong to anyone. I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. Fantastic person. I do not get the obsession with him, like the cult around Rory. Yeah. You know, like it's not Tiger. He hasn't changed the game for all of us. Yeah. You know, so we owe him a lot because he's transformed the game of golf. He's just a damn good golfer and a damn nice guy, and he speaks well. I get it. But this whole like, godlike pedestal we put him on he has to win a major i i I don't fully understand that i think it's completely skewed yeah and i think what contributed to that massively was the whole live conversation that's going on he's been the he's the voice of the pga tour like sure i could tell you more about what rory said than what jay monaghan said in the last six months and that that in of itself is wrong and so the whole Rory being out in front of the media all the time, the 150th open at yeah. St. Andrews, it was like this whole big celebration and, and everyone wanted it. And when it didn't happen, it was kind of like, oh, woe is me instead of, hey, like just can't you appreciate one of the best rounds exactly. of golf that we've seen in a major? And I think um, that was I think that was part of it. The guys were like, the spokesperson for Liv's going to win and he can, you know, we can – drum that down everyone and they probably had word already that cam was going to live which it seems like he is and yeah. maybe that's why some of those comments came out but mm-hmm. that shouldn't skew the way you reflect on a golf tournament which i think it did for people and they let themselves down a couple of prominent golf journalists as a result what's your what's your sort of takeaways on live at the moment i mean it's gathering a lot of momentum and yeah obviously you know, as I said to you before, we hit the record button. We tried to get through the Open Championship recap without talking about Liv, but Cam's answer kind of, you know, left yeah. a lot to the imagination. I mean, where, where are you at with it all? I mean, there's been there's so much made of it and everyone's got an opinion and, you know, you can be wrong or right. I don't really give a shit what you believe, but where, where do you, where yeah, do you it's, head out? It's, um, there's so many different aspects to, to pick at it. I mean, firstly, from the Aussie point of view, so... I don't think any of us thought that Cam was the kind of guy to be swayed by money, um, mm-hmm. but everyone has a price. And if someone's offering you $110 million just to sign up, never mind the prize money, I mean, it's understandable that that's going to turn your head. He's the kind of guy who's said in the past, you know, money's not going to change him. All he needs is a bigger boat maybe, um, mm-hmm. you know, and a nicer car. But other than that, like whatever, it's not going to make a difference to his life. But you know, who's to say? And and the word is that Leishman and Scott are going as well and they're going to form some Aussie teams. So he sits there and says, well, Leish, playing with you on a team every week is good fun. We're best mates. And Scotty's in there too. And we're being paid $100 million to do so. Like, you know, and everyone's going. That's the other aspect. Everyone's going to go. So why not go? Why not take that money? Play the FedEx Cup. Play the President's Cup. By that stage, another 15 blokes have gone and taken the cash. So Fleetwood's going to go, you know, all these, they just, just do it then. So I, I kind of I can I, I understand that in that sense, but it stings a little bit. But maybe it won't in six months because 
the power in numbers is just going to grow so much. And I think that's kind of like, you know, having had a couple of weeks to re- reflect on it and like, I, I certainly don't want to change my position that, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing is a sports washing program. Yeah, no, exactly. Over, right. Cool. So we've got to remember that in the back of our head. Yeah, but, big time. but in terms of cam, right. Like a part of me also thinks that in six months time, the PGA tour is going to have to fold its cards because it's, it can't win this battle of money yeah. with the Saudi Arabians, right? It's just not possible. They've said that. So if, yeah. if 110 million is being thrown in front of Cam Smith, like maybe just take it. Take well, it because in six months' time, it might have been merged and you're not getting anything and you just gave away 110 million. I don't know. You're right. I'll tell you what, though. Ernie Els made some really good comments in the last week or so. He did. And- they've still got a big card to play the PGA Tour and that is world ranking points because what you cannot give out world ranking points to a live event, not when it's 54 holes, no cut. Correct. That is not the rules of tournament golf. And as long as the PGA Tour and European Tour and Asian Tour are playing normal events, you cannot distribute world ranking points. Now, if they all go and play these Asian events to get around that loophole, well, so be it. Um, and then you are stuffed, and they might go and do that. Um, but then but, the whole the whole rhetoric around play, wanting to play less golf is just oh, that was always bullshit. <laughs> it, it, it proves it though, right? That was always crap. Every yeah. single answer they've given is crap. Other than I'm taking the money. I'm yeah. sorry. Agreed. Like yes, playing less events. I you know for the guys who have won majors and they're exempt, they don't have to go play those Asian tours. Fine. Playing in a team, yeah, is cool. It's not the reason why you've gone. Not no, at all. No, of course not. It's absolute nonsense. So, yeah. and, and if they come out and just say, look, I've taken the money, then we, we, I think we'd all reflect on this a whole lot better. At least they're being honest. Yeah. If the money wasn't coming from Saudi Arabia, this would be a whole different discussion. If it was some 100%. England billionaire that was doing it, you'd say, well, hang on, you know, it's an open market. He's blowing up the game. Now let's see what happens. And, you know, at the same time, we know, better than anyone in Australia. We don't have much sympathy for the PGA Tour. They've been happy to Americanize this game to within an inch of its life and focus only on that. And that is not necessarily the reason why Live Golf has come about. That's not the Saudis' goal to grow the yep. game. It's to grow yeah. Saudi Arabia's reputation. But it's a benefit for a country like us and for other countries around the world. The interesting thing about the sports washing part, Nathan, I've been thinking about this the last few days, is mm. you know Saudi Arabia's in theory, doing this to improve its image. But the more of a saga it becomes, the more we actually talk about their human rights abuses, that actually gets brought to light more and more as a result. Now, yeah. their theory might be, look, they're, they're smart people. They're not idiots. Their theory might be this was, of course, it's going to blow up and be a very controversial thing. But in 10 years, it's going to, yeah. everyone's going to forget about what was said 10 <laughs> years ago. And it's going to be a massive tour. And it's going to be, Thank you, Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia. Maybe that is their theory. It might be. But for now, it's actually bringing all these things into the public conversation far more than we than it would be normally. Agree. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It is. But, but also, like, they probably don't care. Like, they've got that plan that it's like, hey, 10 years, agree, in 10 years' time, they've got the money to fund it for the next decade. So why do they really give a shit? Like, we'll just see it out for the next 10 years. The guys who, who go and jump ship now will... Yeah, you know, they'll cop all the criticism and and away they go. Like, it's yeah, I it's not going to go away, and that's the simple simple fact. And and you know, my my whole thing has been about that 
where the money comes from. It's 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 not ideal. It's not great. It's from a a, a, com- a country that's got a horrific mm. uh, system in place at the moment, and it's like how anyone can support that is just beyond me anyway. But if the PGL came about, which is the ones that we were, I've been back in the PGL for a long time and they've gone very quiet. So I don't know where they are, but yeah. hopefully they come back out, but it doesn't seem like it. It seems like the P, yeah. it seems like the PGA tour is going to have to make or, or break bread, at least with the Saudis in, in some way, shape or form. Right. I mean, everyone's got a price and they do, you know, yeah. you can't blame a Matt Jones or a Wade Ormsby or a Jed Morgan because no, they don't know where their golf career is going to go. Jed Morgan, yeah, he's done well in the Aussie Tour, but he doesn't know he's he's going to get a card on the PGA Tour. He doesn't know he's going to be able to play majors. You give him that money, how can he say no? How can a Matty Jones at forty, who's you know just had a little taste of it, he knows he has one bad year and he's back playing the Aussie circuit. So, and Wade Ormsby's been battling for a while, so I can understand them, mate. If they came to me or you and offered us a million bucks a year to go be reporters, of course we'd say yes. Yeah. Doesn't mean we'd be happy with where the money's coming from, but. Mm. You know, we don't, we're not in a position, unfortunately, like to say no. Yeah. The guys, who think- are, uh, the guys who are are Phil and Dustin and Brooks and Bryson and Cam. And yeah. so, therefore, we can question them because yeah. they are in a position to say no. Yeah. They're in a position to to say, I've got enough money. I don't need to take that and basically be an ambassador for, you know, a bloodless regime. Yeah. Um, and, and, that's been, and that's been the thing from day one is like, those guys that you just mentioned never have to work another day in their life. Literally, their kids don't have to. Their kids don't have to work another day in their life. Yeah, so that's where my frustration lies in it. But to to your point, like the Jeds of the world, like go and line your pockets, mate. Like go go and oh. go and do it because you know you don't know where your careers where your career is going to go. Where I do feel sorry for someone like Jed is for every additional Abe answer that gets signed or Paul Casey who goes and then Cam Smith goes, it's going to be someone like a Jed Morgan that gets booted off, right? Like there's only 48 players or however many, however many players they've got, they're going to have to boot someone off, off the tour every time a big name. Oh, uh, how does that so work? Just, so do, like, does Jed have a two year contract and then, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we didn't, we didn't ask him, but like I would suggest right. it's probably, it's probably just for this year. Um, and well, there was all those reports that sort of Dustin had signed for for two or three years. So I think the the other one, and and keen to get your thoughts, is how does this affect the homegrown circuit here? I mean, we've been talking. Obviously, the PGA Tour is thinking of bringing an event down to Oceania and, and rotating it through Australia once every five years. Liv's going to bring an event here next year. But for our tour, like where does where does that leave our tour? You know, we, we are so closely aligned, and we've got some. You know, we put some questions to them, and they said that, you know, we still stand by the DP World Tour and and whatnot. But look at the the Oz PGA co-sanction with the DP World Tour. Yeah. Um, if someone like a Cam Smith goes and and Scotty and Leash goes, then where does that leave leave the the Aussie uh, the PGA Tour of Australasia because they. They've moved those those tournaments two times where they can draw those big names back. Yeah. And I think it's going to put them in a rock and a hard place. If they're their three key targets and they're playing on live yeah. and you've got a co-sanctioned event, you've got to pick a side and we're yet to see it. And and look, you know, they don't have to give us their their thoughts right now because there's still so much movement to happen in this space. But yeah, I do as much shit as we've given them in the last 12 months, I do feel sorry for them right now. 
Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, that's this is a situation they wouldn't have foreseen happening. And uh, they would, let's be honest, in their situation, they would love to say, stuff it. You guys can all play in the Aussie events. I mean, mm. for them, it'd be like, hopefully, Liv brings an event over at around the same time as the Aussie Open and the PGA, and they can play that and then stay and play our Aussie events. But if they're co sanctioned and then they're suspended from that, well, there's nothing they can do. They would love to give them an exemption. They just wouldn't be able to. Um, yeah. I mean, I hope in time that this just globalizes the game and, you know, the PGA, they have to have some sort of co-sanctioning agreement. And that means tournaments down under and then guys who come to play tournaments in Australia, rather than coming for one week and flying back, stay for another and play a big Aussie event. Mm -hmm. You put the Aussie open or the PGA alongside it and you get a, you get better fields and, you know, we can start building up Aussie golf again. That's the hope that, you know, in a few years it will be a consistent two, three, four tournaments on the Aussie schedule to, to look forward to as a result. Um, but who knows? We, who knows where it's all going to land? We don't know. Could, could this be worse for the Australian calendar in time, potentially? Because mm. it just concentrates everything at the top level. Um, maybe. I don't. Nobody has a clue. Um, but thankfully, Lucas Herbert signed up for the Aussie Open and PGA. That's a win. Yep. So we'll get those Aussie tournaments back and uh, and hopefully they can put some more money into other events. And, you know, maybe the PGA Tour wins out and they sit there and they go, we have a responsibility now to to go to Australia and to go to South Africa and play tournaments there. We've learned our lesson. Um, and guys like Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy and John Rahm say, well, hang on, we vouch for the PGA Tour. We have to put our money where our mouth is now. Yeah, we'll go play in Australia. We'll do yeah. that. Or maybe the PGA Tour says, you know, as part of this, when they break it all down, new contracts in place or new agreement, they sit with these guys and they go, like, we, we need commitments from all of you. Rory, you go play South Africa. Justin, you go play Australia. Johnny Rahm, you go play Japan. PGA Tour, like, we need you to buy in. And they come up to, with some agreement. Mm. I don't know. Nobody has a clue, but these are things that might materialise in time yeah. and might benefit us. And, yeah, the, the challenge is, no one knows to your point yeah. no one knows because they, they, no, they don't know no they don't and it moves so quickly and and um there's new developments seemingly every week there's new players going over to live there's you know they've applied for world ranking points so that'll be interesting to see although it seems unlikely that they'll get it but it's yeah golf has never been busier i would say um and uh yeah it's it's been a challenging time to to keep on top of it was there anything else from the major season that you wanted to to discuss, mate, was there anything that jumped out at you that we've not covered off on? Not really. I think we've covered it pretty comprehensively. It's just, mm. you know, damn enjoyable. I mean, what do you make of them being so close together? It feels like you know, it's <laughs> sort of two months and the majors are all after the Masters. They're all over in the space of two months, three tournaments in two months. Do you like that? Should they space them out a little bit more? Are they well, too bunched? No, I think they're too bunched, but it's a victim yeah. of scheduling, right? Like, yeah. to your point just there, they're all played in America apart from the Open Championship, right? So you've, you can only play it in a finite amount of time in the Northern Hemisphere. So that's that's where they all get bunched. But yeah. ideally, I think it'd like, I'd like to see it more in that sort of tennis format that you've got one in January and sort of the Masters can stay wherever it is and then yeah. space it out a little bit more. I don't know. Is that aligned to where you're thinking? I think they're a little bit bunched. Yeah. I mean, it is it is a cool period, but now, you know, the open finishes and we haven't got another one until April. It's, yeah. it's a big <laughs> it's a weight. Time. It's a yeah, big yeah. weight. I'd like to see it it pushed down a bit. And I think that's where, you know, you have ideally the, the masters where it is. And then you have the US Open and the 
Open Championship close together in the middle of the year, suits both of their their summers. And then you push the PGA further down um, and you play it in another country. Agreed. You, know, you take it around the world and it travels. And, you know, if it happens to be in Europe one year, okay, well, then it, it groups back up. If it's America again, it groups back up. But take it to South Africa, take it to Australia, take it to Asia, and then you can play it in September, October, and you get a longer period of time. 100%. Love 100%. to see that. 100%. And hopefully some of these changes that Monaghan's yeah. come out with have kind of, you know, give way to to some of these. But uh, we'll, we'll let you get out of here very sh- shortly, but we can't let you go because there's a couple of things we need to talk about. Footy. Well, let's talk yeah. about the, the oblong ball. Who's, who are you liking at the moment? You've been doing a lot of footy reporting. Who yeah. are you liking? There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I cover the Swans pretty closely. They're looking good. They've got an easy run home at the time of speaking. It looks like they'll make the top four, especially with Melbourne and Freo playing each other Friday night, you know, in the week of this chat. Uh, one of them's going to lose, and it's going to be problematic if it's Melbourne. Um, you know, they can miss out on the top four altogether. Mm. I know that Marshy's, um, you know, a big <laughs> Demons fan, so you won't be happy with that. But um, Sydney can jump in and take their spot, so I'd be watching out for them. I still, people have written off Brisbane winning at the MCG. I still think they're going to have a challenge in them. I think yeah. they've they've beefed up their midfield a bit with Matheson coming in, gives them a bit of body size and deep forward line now with Hipwood back and it's got a strong side. I, I like Brizzy still to to stand up there and have a crack and, and Geelong are looking very strong with yeah. Cameron and Hawkins playing so well. So, yeah, it's it's been an awesome season, just so even. Every week feels like there's a final, like five, six weeks out. It feels like there's a big final take place. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun end to the, the season for sure. Geelong scare me. I, I can't do another Geelong win. Like, as an Hawthorne <laughs> supporter, I can't do another Geelong victory in a grand final and it hurt me. But, um, mate, look, 30-second sum- summary of the Eagles. Where, where are you? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean in your life, Eagles, it's been... It's been, I mean, it's been, a, been, a, been a dark season, let's be honest. Nice. It's been arguably our worst ever um, in line with the Ken Judge years of the early 2000s. So it's been horrible. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, you're on the road back. We've had a lot of success as fans. Sometimes you got to suck it up and just start watching for the youngsters to bloom. And we're seeing a few of that now, some of the offshoots coming through. And, and hopefully, you know, we can be be back there before too long. But it's going to be tough. I don't know if Adam Simpson's going to survive at all because it's a long road ahead and the list has to turn over completely. And that can be exciting at times, going to the draft and seeing the youngsters come through. But... Oh, we've got a good three, four years before we're challenging again. So it's going to be a grind, but hey, we've I've seen four premierships. You know, you've got to be grateful for that. A lot of a lot of fans haven't got close to it. So just how it is in the game of AFL and the equalization system. Uh, and then November is where all the action really starts, mate. The World Cup. I'm I'm so excited for this. I don't know, I don't know why if I've been paying more close attention to it, but what what a qualifying process. I mean, for starters, Jesus, we like doing it the hard way. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, maybe give us the give us the overview. What, what what's your thoughts on on Australia? You reckon we've got a decent chance? Obviously, France, Denmark, Tunisia. I think is that that our group? It is. Yeah, we played we played France and Denmark in Russia, so they're both going to be tough games. France, obviously, we can beat Tunisia. We haven't won a game at the World Cup since. Serbia 2010, and that didn't really feel like a win because we didn't get through the group. So we've gone two World Cups without a victory, and we'd love one. Um, Tunisia's a big chance, that second mm-hmm. game. So, yeah, I'm going, can't wait. Very lucky to be going nice. um, with the Green and Gold Army. If you are looking for a, a tour, 
get in touch with the Green and Gold Army because they provide a great one. Pure football fans and Qatar's going to be, I think, pretty cool. I mean, you can go and see other games, which you can't do at other World Cups because everything in this in the same area. It's very small confined space which will be great rub shoulders with lots of different supporters from around the world that'll be fun and yeah to be there again is just something to lap up and appreciate yeah, that five world cups in a row is an amazing achievement for australia so let's hope we can snare a win that's the focus france obviously first you know it's gonna be very difficult but tunisia is a winnable game second up so that'd be something to uh to really focus on for the the nation over the next few months Hopefully, hopefully results go our way and who knows, we might, we may sneak through in some yeah. stroke of fortune, but uh, mate, we'll let you get out of here uh, if we don't speak to you before then. Enjoy the World Cup. Uh, it's going to be an incredible experience. We thank you for jumping on. Recapping the majors, it's been, yeah, been a wild major season. There's been so much other crap going on that we've yeah. had to, had our uh, view taken away. But uh, Garby, thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it every time you're, you're sitting in the hot seat. No worries. Thanks, mate. All the best.